master burglar A pro at picking locks If you don't leave milk and cookies out He will put dung in your socks If you act nice That's not part of the intro True Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 284 I'm your host, Mike Epps. I uh, can't think of anything funny right now. And with me as always. Never once thought of anything funny, David Verney, Fanboy Master. Nice. You took my failure and you turned it into a perfect joke. Congratulations. You gotta, you gotta improv. You gotta roll with the punches. I'm not good at improv. <laughs> then why are we here? I don't know. We're here to talk about Pokemans primarily uh, you think man i wish i had that yet but i don't uh soonish hopefully 10 million other people have it they can't be wrong yeah <laughs> but, uh, yeah how's that going how's the pokes uh it is wonderful um nice. that's what i'd like to hear uh i think uh What's the best way to put this? I think the internet is making a lot of stink about not a lot of stink about hmm. this game. The internet is doing as it does where like it's uh, rapidly uh, pushing that it is either the worst game ever or perfect. Uh, it is not a... Like, it definitely had some bugs. No one would dispute that. But oh, most no, of the it's got bugs. Don't. Most of the, like, one, I will say, uh, most of the old Pokemon games are very buggy as well. Two, uh, most of these are not particularly crippling bugs. No, and most of them are humorous. And really, some of the worst, like, jank is, uh, is like, four or five of the same exact video that's just being spread around the internet. Possibly from... Yeah. Earlier builds, maybe some of them are from people playing on an emulator. Who knows? Because those videos have been around since like before the game came out. Oh God! I so, that's the that's the knows? worst thing. That's the worst thing about people having Switch emulators already yeah. is that like people boot game new games up and then they're like, "Oh, this runs terribly," and it's like, "Yeah, you're playing it in an immature emulator, shit." <laughs> Like what? <laughs> did did you forget that this emulator is not yet perfect because it hasn't been existed for five years? Uh, what you gonna do? Like it's you know it's a game that like most of like I would imagine anything that's actually a problem, which is to say crash bugs and the most egregious like frame drops are going to get like patched out as yeah. they tend to, and, that... and the. What's left is like, yeah, it's it's Pokemon. <laughs> and really, the the frame drops and stuff have not really been bad at all. Hmm. It's uh like there's there's a certain kind of person that seems to see uh, any sort of frame drop at all as a uh, that they can detect as a personal insult and also disgusting. So that's fun. Yeah, it's not fun. No, you know what is fun? Pokemon. Yes, this game is extremely fun. Uh, 
anyone that watched our Sunday night shenanigans, uh, I would say got a treat because I think everyone involved there was having a good time, just goofing around, doing battles, and just wandering around looking for Pokemon. It's and we didn't have any disconnects or anything that entire stream. In fact, Joe like wandered off and did something else as well. It was just. Oh yeah, the netcode seemed surprisingly robust, especially mm -hmm. given how much that it is literally just two characters inhabiting the same world. Yeah. So yeah, uh, if you are on the fence about the game, I would say, unless you're like one of these people that's allergic to 30 frames per second, just pick it up. This is totally fine. Uh, the one thing I would warn about is if you were thinking about doing digital, supposedly some people getting the digital version on an SD card are having more issues. I c can't really verify whether this is true or not, but if you get the digital version, I would advise just throwing it on internal memory. Just to be yeah. In general, there's there's wisdom to that, just because like there is like it is an open world game, and it is having to dynamically load things in. So the most egregious frame drops could theoretically be exacerbated by the reduced read speed from the SD card compared to the internal memory. Yeah, and it, if anyone's wondering, I'm playing on the physical card. Mm -hmm. have, Which this... probably has as fast a read speed as anything. Yeah. But yeah, that that aside, I'm really liking the changes they made here. And I think a lot of people assumed, oh, this is just going to be uh, Pokemon Arceus in a bigger world. And it's not quite that. And I think that's... They're definitely using lessons that they would have gotten, like, that they would have observed the other team developing Arceus right. learning. But it does feel more like a traditional Pokemon game, just taking some of those lessons and I think that works out quite nicely like you can obviously you can see all the Pokemon on the field which you could mostly see in Sword and Shield but not quite everything uh, but there's like no tra tradition to a battle or anything it's just you know you go the, you, they're you right there on the Pokemon field and start yep. Pokemon in. and that's where some of the funnier cosmetic glitches also seem to come from yeah. where like the game isn't quite sure where to put a Pokemon yes <laughs> like I have that issue with one of like a, I have like a little toxic mouse Pokemon I forget its name but it like is constantly its feet you can't see because they're constantly like in the ground so mm. there is there are some little issues like that but nothing nothing too bad it's it's just funny. Yeah. Like when things like that happen, they're just funny. Um, but like that is a if you if you like searching for shinies, that is a nice feature because like my brother sent me a pic of like oh I wandered and there was this group of Pokemon and there was one that was obviously different color, <laughs> differently colored. Well, that's pretty cool because I'm pretty sure in Sword and Shield you you didn't see that until you like actually transitioned to the battle screen so it was a lot more yeah, much more tedious very specifically that. yeah so yeah, you can see like they've made like real technological strides throughout this like switch generation of pokemon like from like the 
which has also been one of the more like consistently inventive and boundary pushing Pokemon games. Uh, like, not even generations; it's multiple generations at this point. But like, the closest to a fully traditional one that is it was is just quote unquote normal is Sword and Shield, and that has the wild areas, which were you know kind of a big departure, and then. You had, uh, you had, because, like, the first one you had was Let's Go, and that's, like, f for whatever opinions people might have about it, that was, that was a fairly, like, wild swing about how do we, you know, like, do we change the nature of how players interact with catching in the world, and then, uh, you know, you have the wild areas, then you have Legends, which, you know, oh, and, of course, the Sword and Shield DLC, which had its own... Uh, ideas going into it that were pretty unique. Like in general, like for a series that people often criticize as very stagnant, they have been really swinging for the fences for the last like five years. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that really started with uh, Sun and Moon, which kind of moved away from like the top-down, fully moved away from a, kind of the traditional look for Pokemon, and moved it in more of a 3D-ish style. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm partial to those games. Yeah, in general, they've been really pushing to sort of feel out what else they can do without sort of betraying the core of what Pokemon is. Yeah. It's been really neat. Yeah, and it, I think it's perfect for an open world like this because a lot of times... I think the problem with a big open world can be just like, well, you know, you look around in every... What is there to do? Yeah, you look around yeah, in every nook and cranny, always... and there's nothing. And this, it's like, well, every little every little area on the map could be a spawn for different Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, like the, just what you, like, something you haven't seen before. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, there's, there's a lot to fill out the world between objective points. Which, uh, you know, good work. Yeah. <laughs> good work, Game Freak. So is it perfect? No. Could it have used more time in the oven? I honestly don't think so. I think, um, you know, there, at some point you have to ship. You have to ship software. And I think Especially some... when you're Pokemon and you have, like, five yeah. different licensing deals that constrain that you must be out at uh, in yeah. November of this year or someone's going to get left in the lurch in terms of we manufactured a bazillion like plushes of these new Pokemon that you made. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so. yeah, I mean, as far as like jank, this I think this is really. I just can't believe the exact the the, <laughs> the degree to which it has become. Like people have tried to make it the narrative around the game. Right, because it's. Yeah, because if it was just like the fans, it'd be like okay, whatever. But it's also it got knocked in re review scores for this, and like, um, does, does no one remember fucking? I always love bashing on fucking Skyrim, which is one of the buggiest releases I've ever fucking played, and it was like game of the year, like instantly. It drives me nuts. Yeah, it's it's a wild one. The other thing that I'll look at is that the the push pull that often 
is to run through any given review cycle. I'm I'm still up on here, right? Yeah. Like a little bit from the mic. The the, the push pull that runs through any given release cycle tends to be that you've got people who are reviewing uh, with a heavy emphasis on the how, how to describe this, the technical craft, like functionality. Like this does this and it works in a very specific clockwork fashion. And then you have people that are reviewing on the underlying, like, what is it attempting and how well does it achieve that as, like, a game design goal or, like... And th these two, of course, are not entirely separate concepts, but there is a certain, like... There, there, there is a certain, like, pressure to... That if the game is not, like, meeting a certain threshold of, like resolution or like texture detail or x y and z sorts of like technical things that is a like an, an almost objective demerit that you can uh like push back on like as has been clear for years on this podcast neither of us is super into that school of thought no i i do think that the people who are super into that school of thought like consciously or unconsciously are not actually super common like certainly not vanishingly rare but they the like they they talk a lot in a way that has little to do with how perhaps i would, I would say the majority of people interact with a video game. yeah and i i do tend to think that the breathless perseverating over how like but it has x y and z technical flaw and it's like but did that make me enjoy it less mm. for the most part the answer is going to for me personally be no because it unless it was so egregious that it like took me out of the game or broke the game then it's like a technical prowess can enhance the thing that they're attempting, but the thing they're attempting is separate from their technical prowess. Yeah. Fire Miners in the chat. He says, can you please turn up the volume? I can bring it Do you mean the, if you mean the game volume, then I have to keep it low while we're doing the podcast recording. If you mean you can't I hear... I might also just quiet. Yeah, if you mean you can't hear us, then yes, I will try and adjust that a bit. Uh, he also says, you have to put it into perspective how early fan patches and mods came to fix Skyrim. I mean, I'm not even talking about the PC version of Skyrim. I'm talking about the console versions, which are horribly broken and cannot, could not uh, be that fixed. PS3 version. That PS3 version is, to this day, the worst version of Skyrim, yeah. and they didn't really care to fix it. Yeah, but, the, like, yeah. Like, I experienced game-breaking issues in the opening section of Skyrim, like when you're and had to remake my character several times because of it, it was just a nightmare. And, uh, I did not see that reflected in any sort of PS3 Skyrim review scores. Oh Lord. Yeah. I think that one was also the one that like, sometimes you'll get those, but like the worst bug in Skyrim was actually probably the one that was basically impossible to reach in a review, which is just that 
oh, it's a game people are going to play for hundreds of hours. What happens when you play Skyrim on basically anything, but especially PS3 for hundreds of hours? It explodes. It like your save just corrupts yeah. internally. It's too much because it doesn't properly object cull, which is a much worse sin than just about anything else on planet Earth. But... Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like it's it's I don't. I don't super care one way or the other, but like the this, like the the technical thing, I think I think that also like the perception of these games will ultimately settle out to be more about what's in them because the technical things are the things people observe instantly. Yeah, and they don't really have time to. Uh, they they haven't really fully had time to let their thoughts sit with them about like what is the game doing like you know people haven't finished it yet or played significant amounts of it yet so it's one of those things like those thoughts will settle with time and yeah overall i think like like many games that launch with like mimetic bugs the mimetic bugs a handful of them will be remembered but for the most part like the the eventual consensus will settle out around what the game's design was doing yeah but i mean you've already seen people saying it's like the most fun they've ever had in a Pokemon game. Yeah, I mean, they, they swung for the fences, and that's going to resonate with some people. Yeah. Oh, crack. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously uh, interested. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Treasure chest monster. Nightmare. <laughs> Gimme Ghoul. Uh, I like the name. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not trying to forgive any of the issues, some of the issues it can have. Like, uh, crashes I, seem to be like the worst thing that it does. Yeah, uh, the one and thing those, those do need to get ironed out. The one complaint I do ha have is like character customization, as far as like changing their clothes, ch change Much buying all sorts of outfits and stuff is one of the big features of the past few games. And that you you're just stuck in your school outfit in this game. Uh, aside from changing like hats and socks and shoes and whatnot, so that's a little disappointing. But that, that may seems come in like, a future update too. Yeah, you might you might see that fixed in DLC. That wouldn't surprise me. But the other thing is that it seems like the sort of thing that you do when you're looking at a project and being like, "We have already bitten off so much technical nonsense that this is going by the wayside while we make sure that like the world works." Yeah. What the fuck is this ability? What's that? Revival Blessing. The user bestows a loving blessing, reviving a party Pokemon that has fainted and restoring half that Pokemon's max that HP. Is entirely... I have never... I don't think this move has ever existed before. I don't think so. Holy shit. Also a 1pp move. Yeah. I don't even know what to get rid of. Revival Blessing... <laughs> Yeah, this is a new Scarlet Violet one. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of wild. It makes more sense, I feel like, in double battles. But yeah, that's kind of a that's a pretty neat uh, like change up. It's one of only two moves whose PP is not a multiple of five. <laughs> The other being a move that is supposed to be overwritten by one of the opponent's moves. 
Yeah, so... And yeah, like, it, it's one of those things, the, the other thing when I look at this is like, you know, I've seen a lot of people talking about how, like, uh, complaining about things like texture quality, but when I look at the game, like, certainly there are textures that are low res, but like, the actual world and art design is very appealing. <laughs> in it the is. Way that, like, more most more technically accomplished open worlds do not appeal to me in this degree, so... Yeah, I thought, initially thought the legendaries look stupid, but like, riding around this on this thing and seeing how much personality they've given it since it's kind of the main aspect of the game I, it's, it's pretty cool I enjoyed like you just being flabbergasted at the uh, <laughs> at the other legendary in Scarlet because it was like just running around like a fucking oh, yeah. touchdown vehicle and it's like oh he's got wheels and he's not using them <laughs> Like a Flintstones vehicle. That's pretty great. Yeah. Pokemon. Is Worm having a good time? Are you are you walking without rhythm? This worm looks really happy for something I'm about to throw down with. <laughs> He's just a happy boy. Yeah. But yeah, uh, let's see, what else could I, but yeah, I, I assume that's basically all you've been playing, it sort of looks like it's all you've been playing. Uh, yeah, pretty much since Friday, I mean, this is kind of what I was worried about, and I want to try and get more off my plate, and then that didn't happen, so, yeah, I, so mostly been playing so Pokemon. And, like, Dragon Quest Treasures comes out soon, and then Crisis Core. So, yeah, I'm, that said, I'm probably going to finish, like, the main story of this in relatively short order so that I can just have it on the side to mess around with and do multiplayer stuff, so. Probably. Finish all three stories. <laughs> yeah, I found a guide that's, like, this is, this is the path you should take if you don't want to be over-leveled for anything. <laughs> Which, to me, sounds like sounds fun and then the next time i go through i'll kind of just wing it instead so i do appreciate uh, the the fact that i have now seen people saying that they want pokemon to have uh level scaling which is something people hate in every other open world rpg ever <laughs> i don't and i would kind of like it here because it, it'd be nice to just go from gym to gym and like just be able to choose the order you want and have like that same experience with the gyms getting harder as like, you go along. But I mean, that's an interesting I'm idea. Crazy. I kind of like when you can just like do things that are out of depth, though. Yeah. So it's a push pull. It's, it's always a design decision. Like, do you want to have the smoothest trend, like the smoothest possible? run or do you want the player to be able to have like weird encounters with out of depth uh, things so yeah uh, Pokemon looks fun <laughs> yeah no Pokemon's great um what am I doing oh I did uh I did get um uh, Gotham Knights on the cheap, and already yes, 
Yes, uh, and fired that up a bit on the Steam Deck even, although I also got the PS5 version on the cheap. Uh, and it's uh, quite fun. Ran nice. Um, seemed cool. I'm, uh, I've was been really interested in it because it's the first time that the, uh, the Court of Owls, which is a recent very good uh, Batman story, has been adapted. Like I don't, there's, it's not even like an animated movie of that or anything yet. So I'm not shocked by that. Usually they get pretty. That seems like the sort of storyline that they would be loving to just immediately turn into a. Oh, for sure. Movie. Uh, but it's so far it's interesting. Uh, obviously, it's not a direct adaptation because that storyline is all about Batman, and this game begins with the murder of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very long but kind of cool cutscene. Yeah, you gotta go all in if you're just gonna be like, "Yep, Batman's dead." Yeah, yeah. No, I thought they were gonna be like, "Oh, we'll leave this. We'll leave some room for whether or not he's actually dead." So just like, "No, no. Here's his corpse. <laughs> Enjoy. Here's his funeral. Yeah. So we'll sure see. Someone will try to throw him into a pit eventually. Yeah." But no, I know it had a lot of issues at launch, but it seems like it's been a lot of stuff has been patched, and um, the this is so often the, case, a, the patches never end up getting the same yeah. press. I will say I haven't. I just did like the first mission. I haven't really wandered around the open world or anything yet, so we'll see on like performance and whatnot. Uh, but the little bit bit I played was nice. Instead of, like, the detective vision that was an element of the Arkham games I did not love, it's got, like, an AR thing where instead of, like, switching to a separate view, it just kind of, you hold down a button and it highlights some things as you look around. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, in my opinion, a better version of that mechanic. Uh, but other than that, it kind of seems to have a lot of the same Arkham stuff, uh, except you're not Batman. You're whichever... Bat family member you choose. I went with Batgirl. And I'll probably try some of the other other ones at some point. I'd like to do Red Hood. Apparently this is the least antagonistic version of the Red Hood that's ever been written. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting thing. Just like, you know. Yeah. You had obnoxious Jason Todd and then he came back and he was like the guy who shoots people <laughs> uh, but yeah it's, it's, it seems seems cool it's um, I didn't realize it was cross save or cross play but apparently it, it, it is based on the message oh, it gave me rare. when I started up so um, yeah uh, hopefully try multiplayer in, in that at some point it seems fun probably not going to end up being anywhere near as good as the other Arkham games, but that's fine. Maybe the studio can will get another chance and, and build on this. At least it's not a Suicide Squad game. Ugh. Vomit. I'm sure that game will be fine. Huh. It's just... Oh, God, guys, like half these characters haven't had decent games. Why do you want me to kill them? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's, there's more Bat Family members. I'd like another... Some DLC or another sequel to this, just going all out. Maybe some Damian Wayne or Batwoman. 
some of the other or bad girls also. The the girl Robin, I forget what her name is That's now. Brown? Yes. Is a spoiler? Spoiler, yeah. There's there's a couple other bad girls as well. But have basically never gotten any play in adaptation. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to do a game that's like a Bat Family game, because no one's really done that. So no. I bought that choice. Yeah, good stuff there. That's about it, as far as stuff I've been playing. Um, I'm going Pokemon, that, uh, obviously. Was, is that Kevin Conroy's last performance as Batman? No, he's not in this. He's not in it. Okay, that's kind of a shame. Yeah. That would have been tragically poetic. But... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see. So yeah. Uh, let's see. You can find that Pokemon. Much else? No, that's about it. Other than Destiny, which I don't really have much to say there. It's been more of the same. Uh, awaiting the coming season in less than two weeks now. I don't uh, understand how seasons work in these. <laughs> uh, it's basically new story missions pop up, and the and right now they've been alternating new dungeon, new raid. So this time it's going to be a new dungeon, which I like because it requires it's something I can play with friends and not not have to get a group of five other random people. Hmm. Which uh, I've had good, mostly good luck with lately, so. <laughs> but uh, not always. People can be weird. Whatever. Yeah, that's it for me. Uh, well, hold on. Uh, Farmer says, put a bunch of Pokemon questions on Discord you may might want to check out. Okay, we will check that out. Yeah, I'm just gonna. Gonna show our typical what we've been playing. Yeah. So what have you been playing? Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to play. I've been playing more Cyberpunk, uh, which I've gotten to. I've gotten pretty far along. I've gotten decent amount of cyberware which has allowed me to start playing in a truly in more ridiculous fashions because uh, I got like the the charge jump cyberware which uh, allows you to generally just sort of leap on top of buildings if needs be nice not not full crackdown but like if it's if a building is only one or two stories there's definitely a way on top of it uh, so that's been that's that opens up a lot of interesting level design and I got the monofilament wire which is a, a truly ridiculous weapon uh, it's, it's considered a blade uh, because the idea of the monofilament wire is that it is a blade sharpened down to the width of a single atom huh. uh, that like comes out of your wrist <laughs> And that has a tendency to stunlock things. It has a wild range for what's technically a melee blade. And uh, it tends to just sort of chop things apart very easily. So that's been... 
you know, uh, it's, that's, that's changed up uh, how I approach combat encounters to, to an extent. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's still a, uh, it's got some good quest design. I did the, I finished up the quest line that is associated with the, uh, uh, the quest line that's associated with the autonomous cab company, <laughs> uh, Delamain, which is a pretty good quest line that has a pretty interesting conclusion. Uh, there is... I'm, I'm slowly working my way through. I, I just opened up... When I first played the game, this was probably my favorite set of quests, and I don't expect that to change when I redo it. But I just opened up a, a quest called Sinnerman, which is a quest about a penitent Death Row inmate asking you to help him make essentially a VR passion play. It's a very strange, huh. uh, a very strange uh, concept, but it's an interesting use of both the world and like uh, how like religion and culture persists into a sci-fi world. It's very interesting. I've run some other uh, like uh, Zen monk uh, related quests that have also been pretty interesting. Uh, but just in general, like Night City is a pretty interesting setting. It isn't always necessarily like I think that it's honestly a setting that looks its best at night when there's just when you're driving through one of the districts that just has a shit ton of neon in it. Because that's kind of what you think of when you think of like a cyberpunk aesthetic. And it's mm. good that it has a bunch of other aesthetics, but you know, it, it is one of those things where like some of the other parts of the world can be less interesting to look at. But in general, I think Night City and its surrounding boroughs are pretty interesting. They're fairly good. The Nomad quest line, which is a pretty strong one, uh, that if you fully complete it, it apparently unlocks one of the game's more uh, hopeful ending, which is pretty nice. Uh, it does have one of the stranger choices. So, like, th this is this. I, I get why they did this, but also there's not a good way to signpost that they did this. Just to say, uh, because of the way missions are structured, if you don't want to, like, the the story missions are very good at like painting a sense of urgency and just pointing at you and say, "Do this now. You need to get it done," and then taking like sort of moving from mission to mission. There's not, like, a lot of obvious breakpoints to go do something else. So, eventually you get the sense that, like, oh, if I want to go do something else, I have to just sort of ignore what this person told me to go do and just go wander around. And sometimes they sound like they're urgent, and they aren't. <laughs> but the Nomad quest line can break if you don't realize that a quest actually is urgent. Uh... There is a quest halfway through it where, like, your nomad contact slash potential romance option will call you and basically say, like, hey, I need your help right now. Please come and help me. And then you have, like, 24 in-game hours, which is a lot of time. Like, the, the clock is not ticking very fast. But if you don't at least start the quest before that time runs out you will get a 
message from them that says thanks for nothing and the game like that quest line is done because the person that you were being told to rescue is apparently now dead hmm. and like that makes sense except that it is it is a quest line that you were given at the same time as you're given another quest line where you're going out to rescue someone who may very well be dead so it's a weird choice that they that they did this i don't I don't know how to better flag po like signposts to players like, hey, you better do this mission because you don't actually have a lot of time. <laughs> Unlike most of the other missions where someone's like, hey, can you help me? I need help right now. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in general, like I would only consider that a problem because I think the Nomad quest line is really is well written and very strong. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a shame that like there's probably at least a handful of players who accidentally broke it. Uh, you know, otherwise like that's that's kind of been like the game's strength is that a lot of the quest writing tends to actually be quite strong and quite worth doing. Uh, if you do quests that are like like the the Delamain quest that I mentioned like piece by piece like pound for pound the individual quests that make it up seem like pretty typical collection quests and they, they, they're good collection quests because you're talking to these like autonomous cars that are all developing erratic personality disorders at once and you're like finding them and persuading them to go back to their like home garage for like diagnosis and then once you've found all of them it opens up like the conclusion of the quest which presents the strongest and most interesting uh, moral and like philosophical uh, underpinning that the quest has and that is is genuinely very interesting the reward you get for it is pretty good and just in general it's it's a, like it takes this thing that is otherwise like a pretty normal collection quest and turns it into like a fairly interesting uh, question about like you know these car these like sentient AIs within these cars and like what kinds of like, like what their lives mean, basically. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a, that's an interesting thing that, you know, like, you, you get, you, you actually do get, like, stronger quest writing than a lot of the, like, collection quests would be in a, in a lot of, like, open world RPGs. And, like, in general, uh, I've been enjoying that. Uh, there is a quest that has just a bazillion uh, subsections to it of like catching uh, of like essentially uh, fighting these uh, things this is, a, this is a terminology inherited from the tabletop game Cyber Psychos which are people who have uh, allegedly been driven nuts by the uh by, by the nature of cyber augmentation and there's like different versions of the tabletop game and the video game have different uh, explanations for why cybernetics seem to drive a lot of people nuts after a while uh, but basically uh, like there, there's definitely something that is going to open up once I've like crack down all of these but the, that one there's like dozens of them so i don't know how long it'll take to <laughs> reach them but the game is also uh very much uh trying to exert pressure on you to like 
please don't kill these people. Please. <laughs> like, <laughs> the person who's assigned them to you asks you, like, please try to take them out non-lethally. And uh, we'll, we'll generally castigate you if you accidentally kill them. It's like, hey, I thought we had an understanding. Like, the point of this was not to just go out and murder these people. Uh, so I'm interested in where that goes because it has been emphasizing like these these people clearly have something wrong with them, but it's not super clear what because you people usually when they're branded a cyber psycho they just sort of get killed by the police. <laughs> so that's a uh, that's a heavy topic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's you know that's tackling something genuinely interesting from a gameplay perspective uh, because you know the, the game is requesting that you you know like in general there are weapons that are reliably non-lethal uh, generally blunt weapons will have labels on them they're like basically describe them as uh, won't kill the enemy but they'll wish it had that sort of thing uh, and so it but you do either have you do have to make it your business of like I'm not tr I'm trying not to kill these people, like that uh, that is a conscious choice you have to make in terms of your build and how you're choosing to play the game. So it's it's interesting uh, and fairly well constructed. I've, I've been enjoying. I think I think it's very good, and I find myself uh, excited for the Phantom Liberty expansion that's supposed to come out sometime next year. Excellent. That's that's most of what I've been playing. Uh, I hate giraffe break, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I've been I've been having I've been having a good time time with that. Um, I've been been meaning to get back to that since uh, all the patches and whatnot. Yeah, it, it's still not the most stable thing in the world. Like open world RPGs tend to be. There yeah. are like times where like. Uh, just like when I finished fast traveling, it took the game like a couple of minutes to realize that oh yeah, he still has the cyber like the the high jump uh, cyberware, so I wasn't able to do my charge jumps for a minute, which slowed down my ability to move. <laughs> but uh, like just in general, like that, I've had the occasional crash. The game auto saves fairly often, so that's not really a problem. Uh, and just, you know, just general occasional weirdness. Uh, but, you know, in, in general, it's it's a fairly stable game. It's got, if you just, if you were to just barrel through the core story content and skip uh, all of the side missions, you could probably finish the game in 20 hours. Okay, it's not too bad. Uh, but if you want to, like, and, like, a lot of the good side content is in the side missions. Uh, oh, uh, in the chat, Fireliner asked if you'll be trying Pokemon Home when Violet becomes compatible with it. Yes. Yes, definitely. But, uh, I, I do think that, much, much like The Witcher 3, a lot of the best content is actually in the side missions, like, uh, and you, you can usually tell what is going to be a side mission with a lot of... Because, uh, like, the game kind of splits its side missions into these two kinds of things. There's side jobs, which have, like, you know, generally kind of a strong overarching narrative. And then there are gigs, which are just, like, 
break in and steal this thing, which can be quite interesting. I broke into a fucking morgue and stole a chip out of this guy's head. <laughs> and the way to actually get into the morgue that was on top of a funeral home, uh, like, I, I suppose I could have started a scene. That would have sounded like a bad idea. So instead, I just had to, uh, uh, you know, make all the mourners very uh, unhappy by uh, hacking the hologram of the deceased and making it dance. <laughs> caused the guy guarding the morgue door to uh, move in to try to check what the hell was happening with it so they could dart past him and get into the morgue but, you know in, in general like even those those quests that don't have a ton of narrative behind them showcase very strong level design where it's like there were probably at least three different ways I could have gotten in there but I didn't notice some of them so I ended up having to do the uh, piss off the mourners plan <laughs> Uh, you know, it's good that that kind of improvisation works. You know, like that's that's why when I look at it, I it, when I describe it to people, it's like it really is just kind of open world Deus Ex mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And uh, once again, uh, general generally very high quality uh, voice acting, uh, not just from Keanu, but Keanu sticks out because it's shocking how much he's in it. Because <laughs> like. You get someone like that who's like, this person is very expensive and very busy, and you get them to record just tons of dialogue. He, for, for most any, uh, for most any side quest that has any kind of story in it, he, he has something to say about it. And sometimes you'll have a lot to say about it. Sometimes he will sit there and give you a uh, a philosophically sound but uh, obviously quite off-putting anarchist lecture. Uh, Surprised he got so much of his time because he's in high demand these days. Yeah, like that's the thing that's impressive. And they apparently brought him are bringing him back for Phantom Liberty, and I'm See? impressed. Like convinced that he was willing to just like sure I'll. I, I will come back for this. But yeah, like that's that's good. That's impressive. Uh, but yeah, uh, so that's that's where uh, you know I, I think the now is the time to play it. Uh, and you know if if you like. Uh, Fairly like violent, over-the-top anime that uh, that Edge Runners is a pretty good show to watch. That the game uh, has some ex post facto tie-ins to. Uh, I'm currently wearing the protagonist jacket from Edge Runners. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. It has become uh, with with like. It, it, it was always, uh, well, the, I guess the caveat would be, even after all of the patching, you still probably should not play it on PS4 or Xbox One. <laughs> it just, it shouldn't have come out on those platforms. Yeah. But if you have sense. a PS5, a Series X or S even, or a decent PC, I, I hear even the Steam Deck version is apparently pretty good. Nice. Uh, that uh, those that it, it will it will be at least probably more stable than say anything 
that you would get out of Bethesda in the same genre. Like, still, still gonna have some issues, but it's stable, it plays well, it's got some strong quest writing. Um, I, I, I think that there, there are definitely issues uh, that it has uh, with, I, I definitely recall uh, people taking issue uh, with its handling of uh, especially portrayal of uh, trans people, especially in the in-game. Uh, not not so much the way that the game played, although like they, there there were some things they could fix, and there were some things that they did not fix. Uh, like there there were there's controversy over some of the artwork in the ads, which is definitely designed to be exploitative. But uh, you know, you run into like the question of like portrayal of exploitative and like how that hurts people, and like mm -hmm. the, you know stuff that's that's beyond my uh, capacity or right to really interrogate fully. Like if you have strong opinions on that you probably you know that's that's not going to change they have uh changed uh how the game internally treats gender by essentially removing it per se hmm. because when the, when the game launched they had a an idea that i can see how they thought it was a good idea <laughs> but it wasn't uh <laughs> When the game launched, they had an idea where, like, your gender was not your character's body. It was determined by your voice. Hmm. And I can see how that seemed like a good idea if you don't consult with any trans people. Hmm. But uh, that, that you know, obviously that, that turned out to not be a good idea. And they did patch how the game functions to essentially abolish how the game internally views gender because the game basically never That's used good. gender pronouns for V anyway because you could be like you you always had options for how to for, like for V's gender so it just made more sense to have basically everyone refer to you with neutral pronouns like they're just going to call you V most of the time. <laughs> So the only thing they had to work with to really change was they changed how the romances worked. So there were four romances that were essentially uh, tied to how the game viewed gender, and that ultimately got changed to each character, each romanceable character is uh, whether they're romanceable is dependent on a combination of voice and physique. Uh, and like that was probably the the best way that they could square away what they had already made. And it is an interesting attempt to address the criticism that they received. And I I do respect that they at least were trying. Mm. Good on them for that, but, at least. Yeah, and in general, like you can see throughout the game over its patching process, they've done a lot of work to try to fix things that weren't that had issues or weren't working uh and you know in general like the moves they've made have made the game like every patch has made the game better and, you know, that, that counts for something uh like materially better they've made all sorts of under the hood improvements they've made all sorts of uh, balance improvements. Apparently the monofilament wire used to suck really bad when it first was uh, put in the game. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have been fixed via patching. Uh, they eventually got went so far as to remove an entire like 
uh, perk from the perk tree because it was just essentially useless. It is there was just never a place to use it because it made you invisible when you were in the water, and there's just not a lot of water in the game. Uh, probably a remnant of some point where early where certain maps probably had more water in them, just didn't make any sense. They just removed it. It's gone. <laughs> uh, they uh, they eventually added a way to respec all of your perks, which doesn't which is interesting because you can respect your perks you cannot respect your stats which is an interesting compromise like you you can completely change what your perks are but you can't change uh the places you spend your stat points which is not a huge problem like step stats max out at 20 you have 50 levels each of which gives you a stat point and all of your stats are going to start at at least five or six. You're going to be able to max out. You can max out at least two or three stats and get, you know, all of them to at least a point where most of them are going to be at least proficient. So, like, re re uh, specking your stat points is less important than respecting your perk points. But now you can respect your perk points. They've, you know, they, they've had a lot of good quality of life in general as well. So, yeah. Good, uh, good improvements. Let's see. Um, now we should hit some of Fireminer's questions before we yes. talk ourselves out. Uh, how much does the sex appeal of characters depend on the sexiness of their designs? In other words, why do so many Pokemon loots exist despite the characters not being designed for horny men? The only explanation being the more popular work is, the more people can uh, more people get off from it. The answer is is and has always been that when people connect with a work they they tend to do more uh, in all forms of fan work with it. And I will not go much further than that other than to say that, like, yeah, that, that leads to a lot more, like, you can see this phenomenon uh, infinitely, like, uh, go, go back and look up like, just as in off the top of my head, go back and look up in the 20, the early 2010s Go back and look up everyone that people on Tumblr were obsessed with. Like, this, this wild list of characters that, like, on their face don't make a lot of sense. But fandom will cross... Like, being emotionally attached to a character or a game or a movie or any piece of media is going to cause certain parts of people's brains to fry and go directly to... <laughs> Uh, self-gratification, we will just say, and move on from there. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, let's see. But yeah, uh, just to keep the podcast uh, relatively PG, aside from all the times that I say the word fuck. Um, let's see. Can't bring up... Uh, can't... can't ask this question yet we will bring it up when gaijin's back because it's very specifically a gaijin question but mm. uh this does remind me we didn't actually mention uh how much pokemon sold 10 million <laughs> found out 10 million copies in three days uh oh, four million of those in japan yeah oh fireminer responded in chat the weirdest thing is in regard to this question is what people connect to are kids shows and make ludes of these works the answer is that kids shows a lot. Uh, kids shows bring uh, uncomplicated uh, affection for their characters very often. 
there's not uh like you know they're they are designed for the most part to just make you happy and like teach a very simple moral lesson it's very easy to become emotionally attached to them because they are not presenting any complicated feelings for the most part and like people will develop complicated feelings those complicated feelings exist within their own heads and therefore are like tailored to them so you you end up with this like situation where like people get very attached to them and you know that causes and that comes in all forms of attachment mm. yeah remember, remember there was an explosion no nope no, I, did not, I was not in that part of the internet. So no, I and I don't look want to look that up because it sounds horrifying. And I'm just going to stick to Snoop Dogg, the tank engine. Thank you very much. Thomas the tank engine, as it yes. sounds. But uh, yeah, all I was going to say to that was I'm not here to kink shame. People do whatever the fuck they want. But uh, it's one of those things where it's like, nope, I was not keyed into that, although it doesn't even slightly surprise me. Uh, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't know what the epicenter or that would cause an explosion of it. Probably yeah. at least partially ironic to start with, but uh, it's impossible to be ironic forever. Welcome to 2013 uh, Tumblr. Yeah, kinda. Um, but yeah, like like people just when people get attached to it, like all kinds of psychological adaptations and maladaptations occur at the same time, and all kinds of attachments form. And they might not make uh, surface level sense, but you know, as long as they're not hurting anyone, I mean, people are gonna do what people do. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I do think that the propensity for it to be related to children's works uh, is a combination of, you know, you have a lot of people figuring themselves out, uh, end up turning to uh, works that are uncomplicated because that's what they need at that point in time. And, you know, those, the fact that they're figuring themselves out can lead to a lot of, uh, a lot of different kinds of reactions. Uh, yeah. Hit. Uh, Will we ever know what happened that caused Scarlet and Violet to be as jank as they are? Is it typical game freak core programming, or is there some fuck behind the scenes? I think it's mostly just that they they have a tight deadline. Like, that's yeah. kind of it. And, like, we could argue about whether that's a fuck-up, but it is also one of those things that's, like, it's a, uh, you know, the game just has to be out in November, and so you triage what the game needs to be. Like, no one's ever going to just come out and say, like, just because, you know, people that work at Nintendo subsidiaries are famously pretty tight-lipped most of the time, but no one's probably ever going to come out and say, yep, this is why the game came out and had these bugs. It's just, like, it's a combination of, like, the the eternal thing is they, they clearly wanted to do this ambitious, like, open-world concept, but they were never going to get the chance to release a mainline Pokemon game outside of their core release cycle. Every, like, three years there is a new mainline Pokemon game uh, that introduces a new generation. They weren't going to get the option to not release that in a November and they weren't going to get the option to uh, push it back. But eventually, you, if you want to make that design evolution, you just have to do it. Like, you're not going to be able to wait and, like, next time we'll do it because you can't just 
do this kind of radical rethinking piecemeal. So the initial attempt was essentially always like in several ways, it was always going to have growing pains. And like, I think that it's impressive that it has fewer growing pains than would necessarily be expected in terms of its design. It's just an issue of sometimes there are technical issues and some of them are down to the ambition of what they're attempting. Some of them are down to, yeah, Game Freak has not ever had like the army of like uh, programmers that some places have of like just technical wizards. And some of it is just that, well, game's got to come out when it's got to come out. And yeah. in general, it seems like they mostly prioritize making sure that the game runs and that it's completable and that it's fairly robust in content. Allegedly, there seem to be more Pokemon in this game at launch than were in Sword and Shield, uh, which, you know, was probably something that they were aiming to, you know, rectify based on how both the fact that they had more Pokemon models of Switch quality in the tank and the fact that, you know, that was something people were very upset about with the last game. So they seem to have tried to rectify that as best okay. they could. But it's one of those things, like, there's there's a multitude of reasons that were inevitably going to cause this game to be a less polished experience. Mm -hmm. But I, I do... I, I bristle at the concept, the the way that, con, that polish is... Uh, is treated as like a core criteria of quality and how that can often overwrite how a game is actually doing a lot of really impressive things that you know the way that like I, I really do think that it's kind of underplayed in terms of how I've seen people respond to the game how much how ambitious this the the co-op change was from everything mm -hmm. that like multiplayer Pokemon has ever been before. Like Pokemon in multiplayer was always like incidental link between two players. Like swap Pokemon or fight Pokemon. Yeah. But you can't have you can't play Pokemon with another person. You can play Pokemon against another person. But you can't play Pokemon with another person outside of something like Let's Go, which was, you know, like kind of trying to integrate like this idea of like well what is a cooperative pokemon experience and it, it has its moments but you know it was obviously you know not the way they were going to go in the long term yeah. but this this like getting making this giant open world and it's like you two can be two people can be wandering around exploring uh pokemon like it also it adds another dimension to this idea of like it used to be when there were version exclusives the way you got a version exclusive from a friend was that you asked them, hey, can I have this? Can you catch me one? And I'll catch you one of my version exclusives, and we'll do that. But now they've created this like way of playing co-op with up to four people. If if I'm in Scarlet, and I'm going to Wheels' Violet World, I can just... We can just go on a hunt to find the exclusive Pokemon that I want. And like, that's a, a fun way to play the game with a friend. Yeah. And the fact that that works without major hiccup and doesn't just break constantly, that was probably a huge technical hurdle. And it probably caused them to scale back the graphics in a lot of places just to make sure that like there was like all the different issues that can come about that can theoretically uh, just you know chew through uh, VRAM or WorkRAM, just that sort of thing. Yeah, like there's just I, a lot of I, things. I don't think. <laughs> 
most of the older people we're communicating with too realize how popular that feature is probably going to be with the like, younger audience too. Like that co-op say... is going to be huge. Oh yeah, that co-op is going to be like the fondest childhood memories of like an yep. entire generation of children. But uh, you say polish is the norm nowadays. I, I think for what? <laughs> I, I think to some greater or lesser extent, certain kinds of polish are the norm. But the answer to doing that is often that you cut, 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 you round off features that aren't working or features that are uh, going to be kind of, you know, like. It, the, the push to make polish the norm is in part why AAA homogeneity is what it is. Like, you have to work with things that work, things that have been proven to work, so that you don't run the risk of looking worse than your peers because you tried something and, like, it might even be really cool, but it doesn't. But, like, when someone puts a video of it on Twitter and it looks like it's breaking, you know, that can, for, for a game that isn't as. Uh, inherently strong in terms of how uh, loyalty of player base as Pokemon, you, like that can tank public perception of your game. Uh, you know, and like the, those first few rounds of patches can like will probably ultimately fix it, you know, like a month or two out, like a lot of the major jank will probably be gone. But most games sell almost their entire like 90% of what they're ever going to sell in their first two months, they can't afford that. Yeah. So like in part, part of the reason I defend like games coming out janky is that I don't think that that homogeneity, that that, that polish is worth the homogeneity. And I do no. appreciate someone fundamentally like rethinking an old franchise and think like changing how it functions yeah. from a fairly foundational level. I, I will take the, this, Every day of the week, over fucking Horizon Forbidden Boar. <laughs> Had to be Horizon. It's always Horizon. It's, I and I like that game. It's fine. It's just like this. This is using ideas that were boring to me t like ten years ago. I mean that that is kind of like when you look at uh, like to contrast uh, Pokemon, which is uh, ambition ambitious with it within its franchise. Uh, janky and uh, but you know sold like hotcakes with a God of War Ragnarok which came out sold like hotcakes uh, 5 million in 5 days like that's a wild oh, number for it no, excuse me I fell asleep for a second there but you know you look at that and it's like how is that so polished well one it has been you know it had it's built on the previous game it's 4 years uh, of you know, essentially iteration. But, like, you look at the, the fundamental design underpinning uh, God of War Ragnarok, or even God of War 2018, which was in development for, like, six years. Uh, you look at them, and, like, I remember playing God of War 2018 when it came out, and my first thought was, so you guys decided to sort of take The Last of Us and then you also took in some of God of War's like big competitor for Game of the Year when it first came out, Resident Evil 4, because that is what the like actual uh, 
structural feeling I got from uh, God of War 2018. Mm. It was like, oh, this is like a Resident Evil 4 style structure. And it's not as good as that, but that's clearly what it's doing. And that's that's kind of like, you know, the, the, the way that uh, Sony's games tend to be, they're so expensive that they are polished to a mirror sheen, but, you know, they they kind of avoid doing anything that feels out there within even within their own franchises like god of war was a fundamental rethinking of god of war uh, god of war 2018 was a fundamental rethinking of god of war but it was still you know like using very tried and true like this is how sony's like semi-open games work there were you know a number of games that they do that are like that and it's you know it's biting off like well how do we try to make our like asshole character sympathetic well he's you know he's he's just trying to get through it he's just dead uh, uh, and you know you, you kind of run into that uh fair horizon zero dumb released a decade ago shouldn't you compare pokemon to games like temtem and digimon that have implemented ideas before violent has digimon what is like that, that Digimon that done anything new because they made it in a visual novel? I don't understand. <laughs> like survive is like a uh, visual novel slash uh, slash strategy game. I, I can't think of any point where uh, Digimon has done like a true open world game. Is the is the question? Yeah, I don't think but so. If we're looking at something. Yeah, and like like Temtem, is that open world? I I've seen like an hour of people playing it. And so it's like, just oh. MMO Pokemon. I don't know. Which is which is a pretty different concern than single player open world. I've watched it only. and been entirely incredibly bored. And it also like, I don't think it also it doesn't, doesn't have no it doesn't have the artistic flair that Pokemon has either. Which which gets Pokemon through a lot in general because yeah. it's just like yeah, I mean. What you know, the fuck? Designs are pretty iconic. What? The fuck am I looking at? Wug Trio? Holy hell! Incredible! <laughs> what? <laughs> the... I love him. <laughs> what in God's name is this? What a lad. <laughs> but, yeah. Um... And I don't compare. I also let me be clear. I'm not comparing Horizon Zero Dawn to games released ten years ago. I'm comparing it's. I'm saying it's using gameplay systems that I was bored with ten years ago, and I forgave it a lot in the first game because it was building a new world. And again, even in the new game, that yeah, that world is extremely good, and that's I think what's carrying people through those games. But it's like it's still got like oh you've got like bad Tomb Raider exploring exploratory elements and all sorts of other weird issues with its combat that are just oh, I not great. Tomb Raider game. I should play that. Uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, unrelated yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I'm not talking about open world. The quality of life and evolution of cyberspace and worlds. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't see what you're because... talking about. Yeah, it, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, I've observed those games. Uh, like, quality of life is very relative to the game you're making, is the thing. And I think Pokemon has actually 
done a lot of like the quality of life I actually want out of Pokemon. I don't know if Scarlet Violet kept this, but I appreciated that like uh, Legends uh, treated new moves like a wizard spellbook. Like you just had not wizard spellbook, but like spells you had to prepare at the beginning before battle. Like you could just swap out like what moves you had. Can you do that in this one? Do what? So basically, in Legends, the way that... Oh, yeah. Would... I don't yeah, think so. Like... Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. But I uh, I hope that will migrate to the main series eventually. But yeah, basically, that was that was one of the things I really liked in Legends. And I'm sure that they probably did this as a way to incentivize exploration. They wanted you to, like, be seeking out the move relearner. But in general, like, Pokemon has made strides within its... Within, like, the game that it's making... And it's it's very hard to compare it to something like Digimon in part because like I like you could be talking about like a dozen games and like a dozen different styles because Digimon's never really been married to a specific game style. It's like are we looking at Cyber Sleuth? Because Cyber Sleuth I wouldn't really compare to Pokemon mostly because it's not really trying to do the same things anymore. Uh, but I mean like even the old world games like like when I think of Digimon World, I think of my experience with the first game, and I admit that I checked out after playing the first game because I thought the first game sucked shit, uh, <laughs> because that was a game where you're like, it, it, it's a tremendously unfriendly game and so it had a lot of places to move in terms of quality of life, but also I don't think any of the future games actually play like it other than one that very specifically is like calling back to it that was like a PSP era thing yeah. but but, I mean, uh, most of what I've heard of, like, yeah. Cyber Sleuth is the, about the story for those games, which is definitely a different thing than Pokemon yeah, is doing as well. Yeah, I describe that quality of life, and it's doing something very different. Yeah. And I'll get around to it eventually. Media Vision tends to make good things. Uh, yeah. Like, someday, like, when the Switch collection is on sale, I'll pick that up and give it a shot. But it's just one of those things, like, it's just never been a high enough priority, so I can't speak for uh, its quality of life changes. But yeah, uh, it's just one of those things like I, I think that uh, in general, Pokemon has become essentially has become as convenient as I need it to be. Like in general, they've removed the need to get like HMs that were things that, you know, the things that allow you to move around like those sort of just went away eventually and yeah. were better for it. I, uh, I mean, if we want to compare to compare it to any of its contemporaries, I think the one we should compare it to which a lot of people haven't would be Monster Hunter Stories 2. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah, which... is honestly doing a lot of similar things since it's not it's not quite an open world, but it uses open areas. So in, in that Monster Hunter way. Right. Well, not, <laughs> not totally like in a Monster Hunter way, but yeah, it's not doing the same thing. But it's it's got some ideas in there that I think might would work well in a Pokemon game. Like, the the concept of, oh, we, you know, you can ride around on all the different creatures. You're, yeah, that one's and... one of those ones that, like, I'm sure gets put on a, like, a, like, a, like, whiteboard at some point and inevitably gets pulled because there's just too many of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the same reason that, like, I occasionally, like, uh, when I'm talking to friends, like, They'll be like, why don't the Pokemon do the, like, why do they always do, like, a generic animation, even when it's something like Bite, where you could logically have them uh, do, 
like you could have the Pokemon bite something and it's like because then like you have just increased the amount of work to add any move like a thousandfold. Yeah. And Every Pokemon that has it needs to do it a different way. Yeah, and I, I think that's something the testing in these games is I think something that people just completely ignore and I tried to bring up repeatedly, endlessly before Sword and Shield came out because it's like the the list of Pokemon has come too big and n none of you are taking into account all the QA and extensive testing that's required for all these creatures in the game. It's it's too much. It has like, to be like too the, much. Letting you ride all the Pokemon would just like it would just it creates the issue that like you run into people people were, you know, not thrilled when Pokemon Let's Go like limited itself to the initial 151 and part of the reason they did that was that it made it so that they could pursue the feature where your pokemon just follows you around because there was a much more finite number of them you didn't and like they tended to have a more uniform type and shape like grimer and muck are going to use the same way of getting around a uh a Dragonair and a Gyarados are kind of going to move around the same way, like you have that, but when you're getting to like 700 of them, that, like how those, individually tweaking all of those to make sure that they look right, suddenly becomes impossible, and like, people already don't like how janky Scarlet and Violet is now. <laughs> At yes, least a subset of people, so. Since you're framing this session around the limitations of development, you probably want to answer my last question. Uh, I assume that's the last one in the Discord, so I'll pop. On that topic, since the core tenet of Pokemon is exploration, should we talk about how most interesting is the settings just to revolve around Pokemon? Like, I feel like it's a mischance not to draw more from Spanish and Portuguese culture, architecture, landscape, etc. Very colorful countries to make Palladia feel more alive and interesting to explore now that we have an open world. Now, I, I think that's an interesting question, for sure. Yeah, and I would imagine that, like, you, there was likely a degree of culling around this yeah. in order to just make sure that like inevitably you end up culling down like there were probably more complex architectural ideas and you know certain aspects of the art direction that were simplified in order to make sure that the game worked as much as it could uh the 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 other thing i would think of <laughs> is that uh when they're basing a game around a culture with a game that is designed to be worldwide as possible, the way that Pokemon is. You do run into this issue of if you incorporate the culture, the, the inspiring culture too strongly, you end up risking just making a caricature mm. in a way that go, crosses the line from like, we were influenced by this and thought it was very interesting to we basically just made a stereotype <laughs> and the, like that's a that's a fuzzy line that is a fuzzy line that people are constantly debating where it is uh but it is one of those things where like i could see that to some extent you look at like uh how to portray spanish and portuguese culture in a way that reads to people who are not spanish or portuguese and you end up with a big question of if we incorporate all of the elements that we know that people world round will recognize, we have made a weird theme park caricature of a real country, and that it's going to be less 
oh, people are, like, taking inspiration from us, and more like, oh, it looks like they're mocking us. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see the culture stuff, like, it's like... And so we go back to the question of how many developers are willing to spend on culture stuff like this. Like, not everyone can do it like Square Enix and Final Fantasy, right? I don't... Square Enix is, like, doing a weird thing. <laughs> like, you know, because, like, you also do have the question of, like, research it takes time. Uh, you know, allegedly, like, FF15 had a bunch of its... Uh, like, it has a very obvious, uh, like, world design influence from the American Southwest. Uh, and, you know, that sort, of, that, that sort of thing takes a lot of work and time. And, uh, you know, by all allegations, I believe they allegedly had to spend a lot of time getting research. And so, yeah, research is a non-trivial uh, thing, although I think more for time constraints with something like Pokemon than for uh, monetary constraints. Uh, but it's also just like, you know, uh, you would also, you get into the point of like, hiring a, a large number of people who are from that culture to make sure that you aren't just like uh, treating it only from the perspective of an outside observer and then you know like that creates all sorts of its own you know headaches of like very specific kinds of employment scouting and just general like it's just a lot of it's a lot to do so you kind of you err on the side of taking a light touch it's like we're clearly taking inspiration like this is very clearly like a uh spanish inspired place but we aren't recreating spain any more than pokemon kanto is recreating the uh you know a region of japan uh and the you know in general the it, it's it's flavored i suppose is how i would describe it rather than based on and, you know, that's as much for practicality as it is for uh, making sure that, you know, you don't say, you don't make something that is unintentionally offensive. So, it's just, just a lot to, uh, it's, you know, it's an infinite amount of okay, moving parts, just an infinite amount of moving parts. What I miss? Uh, j just further explication. Uh, let's not talk about the. the oh god! Oh god! Oh god! I don't want to think about the FF16 shit. No. Yeah. Uh, all this time to craft a world and never to crack open an actual history book. Whatever. Yeah. Moving on. Well, um, I, I just want to leave it and just say like, their attention, their intentions also aren't to make like. This is like Spain and Portugal in the Pokemon world. Yeah, that, just that's, an inspiration. That, that kinda, yeah, that, that was how I was. Like, okay, I ended good. up settling on like flavored rather yeah. than based on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's you know that's just interesting. Uh, it's a good. It's know. a good good question. Good question for discussion though, for sure. Thank you, Fire. Oh yeah, it's, it's a fascinating question. That of course you're you're running you're running up into the. Uh, limitations of what two white guys can discuss about but, yeah uh let's see um, i mean i could talk about how like 
Pokemon Black and how they used the my part of the world as an inspiration. Yeah, that and, is uh, the American Northeast, very specifically uh, New York and surrounding. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's a good example of how they're inspired by it without, again, making it like a caricature. Cause, digital uh, caricature, digital tourism. They yeah. did have... Uh, they did have one character that they they absolutely fucked up on, and but they had fixed it by the time that the game came out in the U.S. Oh, that's good. But uh, one of the one of the uh, black characters had kind of like she had she looked like she had like an apron on, and it kind of made her look like a nanny That was very bad. But they fixed that in her like official art and her sprite when they yeah. uh, localized it, and you know, I mean, yeah. in black and white too. So. Yeah. Uh one of those things where it's like yeah this is what happens when you know like you know probably you know just someone being like oh yeah that's a thing i remember seeing and not interrogating what that yeah. imagery meant yeah. uh, but the nice the nicest touch i remember seeing black and white is just like going through a forest and you find just like abandoned train tracks which is yeah it's a very distinct touch that um that's very oh god it's true to the place. It's true to the place, yeah, and just works as like a nice little visual touch without, you know, really. <coughs> you don't, you don't need to live in that area to appreciate. Exactly, it. yeah. And that's also like something that they're always very cognizant of is how does this scan to people who don't know this area? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Regarding Terra still phenomenon, we just keep getting more powerful over the top transformation slash evolutions. When will it end? And is it born out of a desire to keep like a Pokemon viable and under spotlight? 100% that. Yeah. Uh, is it? Yeah. Uh, because like to to look at like that, that's the thing. The the nature of power creep is that like these older things just tend not to be as strong. Like that's just kind of how it is. Uh, you know. Outside, uh, you, a... you see the same thing in like uh, your beloved Magic the Gathering. Like the 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 older stuff is either way too strong or not very useful anymore. Yeah, it's very much a problem in like every card game, to be honest. Yeah, and, and yeah, like, like I was just bringing up Magic as just like a joke because like the an the answer is that it's always either Black Lotus or it's something you've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like. Uh, you know, just the general, like, Power 9 phenomenon or stuff that doesn't get used anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, like in, in general, it's it's very much keep the old Pokemon viable. Uh, but it, but it's also, I, I think, like, the, the they've generally tried to make what you can do a little more interesting over time. Like, Terra Stalling yeah. seems a little more interesting than, say, Mega Evolutions, which Mega Evolutions were neat, but they were also very much, like, what if we just put more numbers on something? Yeah, I actually like this a lot more than either Mega Evolution or what the hell, whatever the hell they called like it. Sort of, yeah, just just like oh, make it bigger or make it bigger and slightly change its appearance and occasionally a few of them change its type. Turn into a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this is specifically very limited because you can only use it not just once per battle. It's like once per charge of the thing which usually recharge at the poker center and it just kind of powers up you know, specific moves not even necessarily like the entire the pokemon itself in general 
Also, just the 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 way that you can it, it, like what I've observed of the system, where like things can have like terra types that are different that that aren't tied to the Pokemon as a species, but as the Pokemon as an individual seems like the case. Yeah, and that uh, opens up a lot of options. Uh, more like how uh, competitive players will often have like hidden power of something that the Pokemon normally doesn't learn because it allows them to go after things that would normally just body them. Uh, in general, I think the you know having that kind of uh, change up is a more interesting thing because it uh, shifts how they function in a meta context in addition to trying to keep them viable. Yeah. And I think the gym leaders they've put in here do a great job of illustrating stuff like that. And like one of the first ones, which I really like, is you fight the someone who's the, the grass type, and the last Pokemon they send out is Sudowoodoo, which is very specifically like a is it like a ground or like a rock type? But not it's not it's basically a fake tree. <laughs> And this gym leader uses that ability, and it is a grass type. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I was worried I'd, I had to maneuver the cord around yeah, my kid. So I was worried and unplugged. Yeah, but I think that's a cool way to illustrate it, because it's like, oh, this thing that's not supposed to look like a grass type, but isn't, actually becomes a grass type when you use this ability. It was kind yeah. of a neat and touch. Yeah, and it gives it some, like, there's, it, it just, it, it allows for a greater degree of unpredictability. Yeah. I, I think that Terraspell looks like it's probably the most interesting of these, like, systems they've come up with for a generation. Yeah, I thought it seemed silly when they first announced it, but actually using it, it's a lot cooler than I thought. Even if even if it's just throwing a dorky crystal on top of your Pokemon, <laughs> I mean that's that's just for practicality. Yeah. Same, same reason you can't ride the damn things. But yeah. Um, speaking of Pokemon and question of pro, because uh, that's the other thing that you ran into with uh, uh, the other systems is they one of the things that they potentially were trying to address with this is the question of favoritism. Like there's always the ones that would get these, like, especially the Gen 1 uh, Pokemon would get these, both because they need them the most, because they tend to be the ones that have been most affected by power creep, but also because uh, they, you know, are, have been marketed for so long that, you know, of course, we have to have a new version of, you know, like, a random smattering of Gen 1 Pokemon to, you know, a greater degree than a lot of the other generations tend to get. So, like, something like Terrastal, which doesn't specifically favor certain Pokemon is going to theoretically assuage the concern of like how come it's always X, Y, and Z? Like why are there always like five versions of Charizard? <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, speaking of Pokemon and the question of profit, nostalgia and necroculture. Ninety percent of franchises being continued because they keep uh, are continued because they keep making money. What are the other 2% commercial releases that everyone could see a mile away uh, are not going to be able to make money, but people still release them? Something like Silver Lining that started out as King's Quest Nine. It's really hard to get away with actually producing something you don't think is going to make money uh, if you have shareholders. 
so most of the time <laughs> it's indie games. Yeah. Uh, the, the, these do happen, but generally it's hard to get someone to admit to them. Uh, but yeah, just in, in general, uh, you'll usually when something gets released, even though no anyone could look at it and say this isn't going to make money, it's because it was probably something that seemed like it would make money when they started making it, and yeah. then by the time they finished it, their decision was we'll make more money off releasing it than we yeah. would off shelving it. Can't think of anything that I could look at and say uh, outside of the in, in the like triple a space that would that i would look at and be like i can't see how anyone ever thought this was going to make money uh i think there are certainly things that i think someone looks at and is like this is a low budget game that will make a little money not a lot and when i think of that i think of things like ghosts and goblins resurrection like that's a game that feels like it was made as much because they just wanted to uh, keep that franchise as something that is like, yes, this was a foundational pillar at Capcom, and we still care about it, and we brought back a guy who has not worked at the company officially in 20 years and let him direct it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a wild thing to do, and that is the first thing I can think of where someone looked at that and was like, this is not going to make a ton of money, but we want to do it. Like, that's what that strikes me as. And those do happen very occasionally. It's always for things that are, very, relatively speaking, cheap to produce. Uh, Kawazu games, the, the Saga games in general, are lower budget than their contemporaries uh, and tend to be more experimental. And they're made largely, like, you know, like, you go back to interviews around Unlimited Saga where Kawazu is being like, yeah, I'm not sure that... Uh, anyone will like this. I'm not sure that I like this, but it was important to make it. Like, that sort of philosophy tends to permeate, uh, you know, or I wish that this hadn't been uh, foreseeable, but Neo the World Ends With You. Yeah. That came out and it ate shit yep. real hard. And it's one of those things where it's like, before it came out, I would not have staked my confidence that it was ever going to make its money back. And I don't think it did. I doubt it. But sometimes you... Like, the, the reason that those kinds of things end up being allowed to happen is... Well, you do it because you want to keep someone uh, important happy. Uh, sort of the same reason... Like, this, this did not lose money, and I can see why they didn't think it would lose money. But... Uh, Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma, you know, it, it was it was a fair success. You know, it did well for Capcom, but it also feels like a game that was probably approved because Itsuno really wanted it to happen, <laughs> and he really wanted to make it. Uh, as opposed to going through a more normal uh like approval process, and you can. You can speak with a certain degree of confidence that a lot is done to make sure that Itsuno at Capcom is happy, because allegedly, uh, after Dragon's Dogma, he was essentially asked, "What do you want to make? Your like, the the project is open. 
like what what project you want to make and he selected like he wanted to go back to devil may cry and make a new devil may cry 5 mm. and so that's why that game happened well thank uh, you then <laughs> yeah no I, I, I was happy uh made the best devil may cry game ever but uh it's one of those things like low budget games indie games and games that end up happening because they want to retain someone they consider to consider a key member of staff and there's some uh, intermingling often between these two things but you know uh, pu putting that kind of money behind Devil May Cry was kind of a risky move mm -hmm. uh, popular popular as they were they, they've never been uh, like Devil May Cry 5 is the best selling Devil May Cry and you know it, it, was, it was a series that like Devil May Cry 4 was kind of a sales disappointment. That's why they outsourced it to Ninja Theory for the, you know, one-off reboot. And so, you know, and that underperformed as well. So it was one of those situations where, like, it was unclear what Devil May Cry was going to do. So, you know, this was the happy, the happier version of that, where it's like, it turns out that there was a way to market this to people who did not already play Devil May Cry, and they did manage to do it. But, you know, the... There's there's just a lot going on, uh, just a lot uh, a, a lot going on, uh, but you know it, this is still a relatively rare phenomenon. Uh, peek back at these questions once more. Uh, conversely, which franchise is being conti continued without much passion put behind it? Uh, oh shit! Thank you for the next... thank you for the Prime subscription, Pew. Thank you. Uh, and whatever the next Tom Clancy game is, uh, I think that the people who are making Saints Row actually do care about Saints Row actually quite a bit. Uh, but uh, that's that's a different uh, kettle of fish. But yeah, like you know, you get uh, you you definitely get the sense that like a lot of Ubisoft's output is stuff that's being done out uh, without a lot of uh, spark behind it. I do think that there are Tom Clancy games that people do care about being made. The Splin I feel like whoever's working on the Splinter Cell reboot probably cares a lot about Splinter Cell. Yeah. But, you know. And, and same with, uh, like, Prince of Persia. But when you get into, like, pro probably, you know, some of the Assassin's Creed games are being made by people who are very passionate about like the era that they're and world that they're going into, and some of them are probably people that are like, "Yep, yeah, let's uh, let's get this one out and move on to the next one." <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind of the thing, like, or uh, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, like I, I'm sure that. It, the the kind of person who would be super passionate about the single player campaign of the next Call of Duty in terms of like its story and design is someone that I would find genuinely con concerning to speak to. So, uh, yeah, but I, I'm just gonna just gonna assume that that one's mostly on autopilot in not not in the sense of effort, but with a certain lack of a certain animating passion. Uh, but yeah, you know, the, the usual suspects of here's a, a game that exists because the balance sheet says it must. <laughs> uh, 
you know. Uh, in general, like, there there is a certain uh, culling effect that happens with this because turnover is so common and so over uh, all-consuming in the game industry. Uh, the kinds of people who end up working on any given game tend to be the kind of people that care about that game. And so it's, it's fairly rare to run into the kind of game that exists entirely without this animating spark. And it require it, it certainly ends up running into, like, it has to be something that, you know... Because, like, I, I wouldn't include even, like, you know, the, the common whipping boy for this kind of thing. It's like, oh, the yearly sports game. So the kind of person who makes a sports game every year cares a shit ton about that sport. <laughs> because they would go insane if they didn't. <laughs> and, like, they don't always have the time to make a perfect simulation, but I'm sure that the people doing that want to make a very, you know, the highest quality simulation of a sport imaginable. Like, we actually used to probably have more of the of in, in that realm more of the people making it to fill out a balance sheet because there used to be a dozen simulations of any given sport every year like uh, I'd, I'd be fully willing to believe that the people making konami's basketball game in 2002 were not fully invested <laughs> in that task but at this stage like the people working on nba 2k those people probably like are very uh, you know they they care a lot about basketball because it's the only place you can go to to try to accurately simulate it. But yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the autopilot stuff would be stuff that has to come out like clockwork that doesn't have the time to refresh like to cycle out people who, you know, might care more about it. How much do you enjoy this? This one's this is a good one to close out on anyway. How much do you enjoy the sandwich minigame in Violet Scarlet? I appreciate the effort game, game Freak put into the foods, but I just can't enjoy it. We have Iberian culinary as the source of your inspiration. What you choose is a sandwich. <laughs> I have not done the sandwich minigame, so I can't say. But I do enjoy a good sandwich. Sad. It's one of those things that's, uh, it was likely chosen to be uh, as universal as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really, like, no, no one can have any confusion over what this object is, and yeah, it's just putting, putting, uh, putting stuff between bread products is uh, about as universal as any food product imaginable. It's like that in stews. So... That's probably kind of where you end up. Uh, yeah, I can't speak for the mini game because I have not played it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, you haven't either, even though you can. No. Nope. Uh, yeah, we'll 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 come back to that next week when you've ideally played it a bit more. I mean, I feel like I'm halfway through now, and I haven't played. I don't even know how to get to it. <laughs> It's in the picnic mechanic that I have no use for. You know. Probably. I should probably wrap this up. I have a snoring child sitting with me. Yep. We're wrapping up before we normally start. Gaijin's going to feel sad. Sorry, yeah. Gaijin. But yeah. Uh, it's, uh, speaking of Gaijin. 
you can still uh, you can still check out his books on Amazon, uh, Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, which allegedly should be getting a new uh, entry fairly soon uh, in ebook format. Uh, I don't know when the next paper paperback will be out, but uh, stay tuned. Uh, it's uh, good for good for if you want something uh, that seems you know pretty breezy. Uh, that seem accurate wheels. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Breezy, uh, got some fun uh, role-playing, child-appropriate, uh, you know, got a lot of good options. You can find that on Amazon again, Kindle, Kindle, Kindle or Kindle Unlimited, or paperback. Uh, find it by searching for author Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, because Michael Baker is ungoogleable. Um, yeah, uh, so now give that a look. Uh, wheels. Uh, you can check us out weekly and Wednesdays on twitch.tv slash askwheels where we record this podcast live and usually when I'm playing things. And also we do Sunday nights on the same Twitch channel for Sunday night shenanigans focused on multiplayer games. Last week, as we discussed earlier, was Pokemon and it may end up being that again this week because that was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, but Is we do. going to be that or Saints Row, I get the feeling. Yeah, most likely. Uh, and we also do occasional uh, adventures platforming. We have a four-part ser- complete series of Klonoa out. Which you can check out, check out on my YouTube channel. Just search for Ask Wheels. And um, next up will be some Sonic Frontiers at some point, followed by uh, Pac-Man World Repack. Let's keep an eye out for that. And that's it, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, that's... Oh, oh shit! Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood also sub- subbed. Thank you, Hollywood. Eighteen months. Yeah, holy Terrible. shit! Thank you, Hollywood. The first, the original subscriber. Oh, well, original subscriber. Well, I should say original on-stream subscriber, <laughs> as uh, friend of the show Silk subscribed while not watching the channel. He just went. <laughs> Truly and, an incredible move. Yes. Just went and used his Prime subscription while I wasn't even streaming. And Pew and Hollywood are now fighting. We're going to break his back. What is going on? Make him humble. Uh, but yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah right. She's adorable. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. You can ask us questions like uh, dear friend Fireminer did this week. Thank you again yeah. for that. Uh, you can ask them. Uh, Fireminer actually demonstrated two ways to <laughs> ask questions. That's true. Uh, you can ask them if you catch us at 9 p.m. Uh, Pacific, midnight Eastern, or earlier this week because it, the opportunity arose. Uh, but normally, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can ask us questions in the Twitch chat. We love uh, hearing from people and reacting live. And uh, you can also ask us questions in the Discord. Uh, you can get into the RP Gamer Discord by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab, and that will get you an invite. It's a lovely community, whether you want to ask us questions or not. But if you go to the podcast section and there is a question asked, we will we will assume it's for us, unless and until something tells us it's not. Um, so yeah, uh, big uh, thanks again, Fireminer, for that. Uh, in general, uh, you can also ask us questions in 
the comments section underneath this very episode. I realized I did not check that this week, so let me, uh, like, obviously I'm not checking under this episode, but I need to check that back. It's fine, it just went up a few hours ago. Well, yeah, I was, I'm checking fist bump, not like a Sonic. Uh. Nothing under fist bump. Okay, so we're safe, we're good. Uh, but yeah, if you if you leave questions underneath a uh, recent-ish episode, usually within the last three, we will check back and try to catch those. But yeah, uh, as for... Uh, uh, I think that gets us to the end of things, so see you, Space Cowboys. Peace. When we are born, we are swaddled and snuggled, whispered too fussed over, tickled and cuddled. When we grow up, things get muddled. And here it is Christmas time Will you stop by for a piece of delicious peach pie while I tell you